Hello world, I'm Ethan Hansen, and this is Quantum Computing Now, a podcast about quantum computing basics, news, and interviews. The episode you're about to hear is an interview with someone who's doing cool and good things in the world of quantum computing. Stay tuned no matter what your level of understanding is, because these are always interesting conversations open to people of all levels of knowledge. I have been lucky enough to talk to quite a few people in quantum computing, and this time I had the privilege to talk to Junye Huang, a quantum developer advocate for Qiskit and IBM. While he works mainly on quantum computing education, like Abe Asfa, these two interviews were pretty different. Both super fun to record, though. So, what do you think? Enough said? Yeah, enough said. Let's get on with the show. All right, so I have with me on the podcast Junye, who is a Kiskit developer advocate. Um, and Junye, thank you for coming on the podcast. Hi, Ethan. It's great to be here. So before we dive into what you're working on with quantum computing and Kiskit and all that, uh, could you just tell us a bit about your background and what you did before you worked on quantum computing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a bachelor degree in material science and engineering. And I did a PhD in experimental low temperature physics. Very cool. Um, that PhD in low temperature physics, where did you do that at? Yeah, I did in National University of Singapore. And I was okay. studying um, the spin transport property of low dimension, two dimensional superconductors at very, ex- uh, very low temperatures. So I also okay. use uh, dilution refrigerators. You might have seen my Twitter profile, so sometimes it makes people think that I actually work on quantum computing, but I wasn't really. Yeah. So is that how closely is that related to quantum computing and like superconducting qubits? Um, it's remotely related. Actually, I was going to talk about it later when how I got involved in QC, but I can mention a little bit. So basically, I wrote a grant with my supervisor and to try to realize topological qubits, the approach that Microsoft Quantum is trying to do in yeah. 2D materials like graphene and other very thin material and try to stack them together. And because yeah. of something called superconducting proximity effect, you might engineer a topological qubit that theoretically can have a much lower noise and thus maybe much longer coherence time in qubits. But what I did in PhD was a very early stage of this project. So I didn't really make a qubit, but pacing the way and establishing the experimental setup in my lab to uh, uh, reach this goal. Okay. So you say that you were working on creating a topological qubit. I know a bit mm-hmm. about topological qubits. Um, mm-hmm. I know that they have theoretically lower error rates, like you said, um, but yeah. Walk me through sort of like a high-level view of what exactly is a topological qubit. Mm-hmm. Okay, now you're testing me my understanding. Let's see whether <laughs> I can explain it um, in a few words. So um, a topological qubit is um, it's a rather abstract concept that you can encode the quantum states. In a usual superdynamic qubit, you encode zero, maybe as a superdynamic current direction in a switching junction, like clockwise or counterclockwise means zero and one. Mm-hmm. But in a topological qubit, you actually encode the quantum state as something in the 
uh, Hubert space of the I don't know, whole system and you think mm. in a two-dimensional space and in the time evolution and you can think about this particle moving in this Hubert space and they're doing something like uh, braiding that's how we call it like some string uh, braiding okay. in the time and depending whether they are crossing there's a braid or there's no braid and they will be zero and one and mm. because of this um, braiding property so any local disturb uh, disturbance to the particle position or other property wouldn't really change the state because the braid itself is a topological you can imagine if you are entangling okay. two hair if you yeah. just move it without un entangling the hair you wouldn't change the fact that there's a knot or there's a braid in here the, the yeah. two hair is entangled so that's the fundamental uh, basic picture of why topological qubit is more stable than a normal qubit okay that's super interesting um so yeah <laughs> you said uh, you said that this work was tangentially related to quantum computing um what resources did you use to learn quantum computing um i know you had a bit of a background mm -hmm. but yeah yeah so um actually long story before i started my phd i was already um attending a lot of talks you know, in Singapore, we have a center for quantum technology okay. and they organize our talks. So that was the first time I got exposed to quantum computing. And I actually applied to do a quantum information theory PhD, but I didn't get it because given my undergraduate was in material science, not in physics. So yeah, at the end, I applied to get a PhD in experimental uh, physics in two-dimensional materials because it's closer to materials. And after I joined a PhD, I could attend the classes that is on quantum computing by Center for Quantum Technology because they are also under uh, the same university, National University of Singapore. So I could take a course from them uh, on quantum computing. That's where I got my formal education on quantum computing. And at the same time, I could also attend a lot more quantum computing talks organized by CQT. So that's basically how I got into this quantum computing. Very cool. Um, so let's talk a bit about, uh, before we jump into what it's like being a quantum developer advocate, um, you mm -hmm. organized or co-organized the Singapore Kiskit Hackathon. Walk me through mm -hmm. sort of how you organized it, how did that go, and what did you learn from that? All right. So... Um... Maybe I should mention about that I attended the first Kiskit camp. So that's yeah. why I, yeah, maybe I go first talk about that. So um, I attended to the the first Kiskit camp, which was about, uh, it was it's March 2019, right before the uh, APS March meeting, because I okay. was anyway going to attend the March meeting conference. So I'm... Han He Pike was from IBM Research, came earlier to NUS, uh, January 2019 to advertise the event. That's how I got to know it. Hmm. And then because it was convenient, then anyway, I was going to US. So I applied for it and I got into it. And the Kiss Camp was really fun event. There was two parts. The first part was a full day workshop at the TJ Watson Research Center in Yorktown Heights in New York. 
And then uh, the second part was in a mountain resort in Vermont, and that was the hackathon. Mm -hmm. So in the hackathon, I make a game is which was a quantum version, quantum implementation of the classic video game Pong, with together with two other students in from University of Colorado Boulder. So yeah. because of I attended the Kiski camp and I really enjoyed the experience. So after I came back to Singapore, and I talked with some people in Kiskit and uh, trying to bring the Kiskit camp into Singapore, and I worked with uh, some people in security because they are also promoting quantum education in Singapore. So we bring the partnership between security and Kiskit. And after a few months of planning, we make it happen in October last year. Yeah, very cool. Um, so. Once the Kiskit Hackathon was over, was there mm -hmm. anything that stood out to you at the hackathon that you thought was really cool? So what I felt was very cool is that, um, actually it's out more than during it, it's afterwards. So my initial attention was to bring the experience of Kiskit Camp to Singapore. But also yeah. some of the participants also got an invitation to invite to Kiskit Camp Asia later on. So to could actually experience the real Kiski camp. So I really feel that by doing the hackathon in Singapore, uh, fulfill my initial goal, not just yeah. to bring the experience to Singapore, but also send some of people to experience the actual one. And they really enjoy it. And they also become very active uh, member of the Kiski community. Yeah, that's super cool. And I, I'm assuming that that played into you landing the role as a quantum developer advocate. Uh, talk yeah, me through... Right. Yeah, mm -hmm. talk me through how you got that role and sort of what does that mean, um, both on a, a general, like what do you do overall and day-to-day, -day, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. So uh, actually, I should also mention some part about more about the coupon maybe. So okay. you're right that organizing the Kiske Hackathon might be one of the reasons I got the job. Another part <laughs> of the reason, I guess, was the coupon. So after yeah. the Kiske camp, I also work with uh, my mentor, Jim Weaver, to continue to polish the game. And then we went, uh, he went to the Boston Museum of Science to attend an event called Nano Day. And he demonstrated the game in the fair. So that got me feel like um, I could actually make something happen. Like, yeah. Even after doing PhD for a few years, most of the time you are spending your time doing experiments and reading paper. So you don't actually get to feel the real impact of your work. While joining Kiski Camp, I feel like I only work on it two days and then afterward I work on it maybe for a week. I could actually bring some impact and reach to the normal audience, like some kids, they really have fun with my game. And I feel that was really empowering. And later on, we work on a, a quantum a coupon on the Quantum Arcade. So I rewrote the whole game with two other IBMers to Unity. Initially it was written in Pygame, which mm. is a Python game engine. So, um, and that is ported to a physical arcade machine and used in uh, some Kiski camps. And it was also used in a European Union, Union quantum flagship events on the um, Finland. So again, oh, I feel like it's really it's really powerful that he's just working for something for a few months. 
rather than doing PhD that you're working so hard for a few years and you don't feel the impact, maybe you get a paper, but not that many care about it. So that's kind of the reason why I transition from a more academic career path to this quantum developer advocate, because I do feel this role and this kind of work bring you more um, accomplishment and bring more mm -hmm. impact to the community. So I think it's these two roles that I got a job and also changed my whole perception of a career path. And I want to do this job and to make more contribution to the quantum community. Hmm. Very cool. Um, so as a quantum developer advocate, what is your, your role with Giskit? Do you work on the code? Do you work on sort of interfacing with the community? What, what do you do there? Mm -hmm. So uh, Giskit uh, quantum developer advocates can have different roles. For example, uh, I'm a quantum developer advocate. You probably know Abe. Yep. He's also a quantum developer advocate. And uh, Jim Weaver, I mentioned, oh, was also a oh. uh, Giskit uh, developer advocate. So we could have different roles. Abe is more focusing on the education in the whole world. So I'm also focusing on education, but focus on more in the Asia Pacific region. So I work with universities. Yeah. And for example, next week, I am going to teach a Kiskit workshop in one of the quantum computing course in NUS, National University of Singapore. Oh, I also cool. give talks on uh, quantum games. Actually, it's also coming up in end of April with a local uh, local organizer called SG Innovate. They also promote a lot of uh, deep tech, AI, and quantum stuff. Mm. So I do a lot of talks. And I also work on a Kiskit textbook. And uh, I also organize a lot of events. So like okay. the Kiskit Hackathon, but because this year, because of the COVID-19, we are transitioning to more online events. But I'm right, also... Yeah. Uh, organizing those events. So this is basically my role is, but this one developer advocate might have slightly different roles. So depending on what you like or what the team wants you to do. Okay. Interesting. So what are you excited about, um, coming up in Kiskit, like new mm -hmm. features that are being released? Um, I know that people are constantly working on it. Um, part of the mm -hmm. beauty of open source, but is there something that you're yeah. particularly excited about? Oh, uh, I'm actually more excited about the textbook. Okay. Not so much about the, the Kiskit code itself. I think the textbook is really excellent learning resources. We have been doing some reading session and going through a textbook. And recently there's many, a new feature is called, uh, you can directly interact with the Jupyter Notebook on the website, or you click one button, it goes to the IPM quantum experience. And I'm using this to teach the workshop next week in the class. So I think this Very is cool. one of the most exciting thing I have for Kiskit. And yeah. what I like about it is also is uh, open source, just like Kiskit. Mm -hmm. So you see some of the chapters that are contributing by uh, Kiskit advocates, or some other people in the in the community, they could just uh, write a Jupyter notebook with some background information and implement maybe a textbook algorithm or even some algorithm that come out on archive that is very recent. 
Yeah. So if you can go to a Kiski textbook, recently we have a live section with uh, Jack Theroni, mm-hmm. and he wrote a chapter on a very recent algorithm called variational quantum linear solver. Mm-hmm. The paper was only published last year, and he implemented wow. it in Qiskit, and it could also run on the actual hardware. So I think this is one very cool feature because compared to the our Bible, quantum information and quantum computation by um, <laughs> Michael Nelson and Isaac Chung. I mean, They're that is Mike written like 20 years. And yeah, it's a really good textbook, of course. And you get yeah. all the formal uh, introduction to a basic concept. But the Kiski textbook is first interactive. You can play with it and you can, you don't, I mean, for people that, don't have much of a math or physics background, they can still play with it because yeah. you are just running the code and you can see some visualization and you get a feeling of the algorithms. Plus you can also see we are getting more and more uh, implementation of recent algorithms. We also have like a VQE, QAOA, and mm-hmm. also uh, integration of PyTorch and Qiskit. So these are new things that you wouldn't get from a traditional textbook. So that's what yeah. I like about this. Yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. Um, so something a little bit off topic, but you also have another game. You worked on Coupon as well as Wolfiverse. Tell me about Wolfiverse. All right. Okay. Okay. I'm glad you, you like the game and you bring it up. So Wolfiverse <laughs> was a game that I made with some other people when I went to another hackathon that's not organized by Kiskit, but by CERN. Okay. Uh, Center for Nuclear Energy, I think it's cool. So it's where the Hadron Collider, the large uh, Hadron Collider yep. is. So um, they are also very interested in implementing or exploring quantum computing useful uh, high energy physics. So they organized this hackathon to bring the people from different fields as developer physics. Actually, very interestingly, they invite a lot of people that are designers and hmm. game developers to the hackathon. So the hackathon was really diverse. And right there, we are brainstorming and then we thought about this game, the Wolf Viewers. So this game is a storytelling game, but with some twist of quantum computing. So we have okay. three diff- very familiar quantum folk tab. Uh, One is, um, let me think about the name. Peter and the Wolf, mm-hmm. and uh, Wolf and the Three Pigs. I can't remember the name in English. And um, yeah, and uh, the Little Red Riding Hood. So yep. these three very familiar folk tale, and we and we make it to be three parallel universe. And you act as a Peter, and your role, your goal is not to be eaten by the wolf. No, okay. actually, sorry, it's reverse. You act as a wolf and your goal is to eat Peter. And <laughs> you have to transfer to a different timeline of this uh, three folk tale to collect the quantum gates. But the quantum gate in the game is no quantum gate. It's some object like a matches or some other object that you collect on the way when you make certain choices. So the probability of you eating Peter is determined by a qubit. And your okay. initial state is zero. So you, when you measure, you have zero chances of eating in one. So that yeah. is how we measure the probability. 
but on the way you get a hardmark gate, you got a set gate, you got a hardmark gate, and if you put hardmark Z hardmark, you will re you will change zero to one, so you have yeah. a one hundred percent of uh, eating beer. But if you only collect hardmark Z, you still have fifty percent chances. So on the surface, this is like a very cute. Uh, storytelling game, but at the background, you have some kind of a quantum mechanics and quantum computing. So we want to make this game to attract the people that are usually not interested in quantum computing, especially mm -hmm. maybe this game is more attracted to girls or kids. Mm -hmm. While other quantum games that we have been making are more the traditional video games that are attracted to more like boy, those people that already like playing games. So that's why we, we oppose that differently in that yeah. particular game. Yeah, I suppose you couldn't make it too easy and just have them collect an X gate. <laughs> yeah, so it won't be very obvious and you cannot just, uh, you wouldn't actually, you can't really, the player that doesn't really know when you are collecting the X gate and what you do might list to it. You just, they just play using the instinct to see like in this certain situation, what kind of choices you want to make. Like the wolf, you see a house, and then you see the grandma inside and you want to just go near the window and see what is going on. Or you want to climb through the chimney and go inside to eat the grandma. There's many things that you can <laughs> do and do, yeah. yeah. And you don't know what, it can be very, actually the chimney is a good example. Actually, when you go through a chimney, you're actually going to a quantum portal and you have 50% chance going to another universe. Hmm. Okay. Or you just stay in the same universe. So yeah, it's pretty fun. Interesting. Yeah. Um, walk me through the, what makes Qpong, um, what quantum mechanical mm -hmm. properties are you using there to make it quantum computing and not just computing? <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, the Qpong on the... Yeah, I wish the audience can see it, but I can describe it. On the top is just an ordinary pong interface. On the left, you have paddle controlled okay. by your computer, just mm -hmm. your, your classical computer AI. On the right is um, a paddle that the player controls and is controlled by a quantum circuit. And the quantum circuit is at the bottom of the screen and the player okay. will manipulate the quantum circuit and in a nutshell, the position of the paddle on the right is determined by your quantum state. So the standard version we have is three qubit. So the paddle have two to about three, eight different positions. Okay. And you have, for example, from uh, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 1 to 111. Mm -hmm. And while you're playing, you see the ball coming and the player need to change the quantum circuit so that the state output of the quantum circuit is corresponding to the location of the paddle that you want it to be to bounce the ball back. Okay. So because it's eight different positions, so the paddle are pretty small. If you want it to be completely deterministic, you can push X. For example, the ball is going to zero, zero, 001. You can put X into the the zero qubit, which is the first cube. And then you have 100% bounce it back. But because it's yeah. very small and the ball is moving very fast, you can have a different strategy that you put a harder market in the mm. last qubit. Then the paddle actually is double in size. Instead of just zero, zero, one, 100%, you can have a zero, zero, zero and zero, zero, one super precision. Mm -hmm. 
So the battle is subway size, but also you have only 50% of the chance to get it because when the board reaches the battle, it triggers a measurement and it collapses yeah. state. Only one of these two will be the actual battle. So we kind of have a balance in strategy that if you want it to be for sure 100%, you do it very quickly and you're very precise, you know where exactly it goes. Or you choose a more a compromise and we increase the battle size and reduce the probability. So that's what makes it a bit fun. And what I like about quantum game is that by playing this, you kind of gain an intuition of how to change the state mm-hmm. way better than I go through a Jupyter notebook tutorial and right. tells you, you put this in here is 001, puts in here is Hadamard case supervision. So when you play game, you gain the this intuition. And yeah. after that, you get to understand how it goes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's that makes a lot of sense. I definitely appreciate the gaining in intuition. So as we sort of wrap up here, um, what do you see as the biggest challenge in quantum computing right now? Mm-hmm. So I think uh, the biggest challenge, and it's my passion, is the education of people. Not just mm-hmm. the younger generation, but also people that are working in the, just working professional in other fields like AI or other computer science or engineering. I think we need to educate them more about quantum computing. They don't need to be an expert in quantum computing, but they should be aware of it. Like very much like what yeah. we are learning about AI. Even if you're a physicist, you want to learn a bit more to know what it can do for your research or for your job. Then when they are aware and they have the domain expertise in whatever they are doing, then they can prepare themselves for when the quantum computing, quantum computers are ready to make a change. And it takes yeah. time to learn. So that's why I think is the most needed. And that's why I choose to do this job to educate more people about quantum computing. Yeah. That makes sense. I definitely appreciate that. Um, That's part of why I started this podcast, because I want people to get at least a basic understanding. Um, And so then, what do you see? I think your podcast is really helpful. Because sometimes you read the news, you you see, I mean, a lot of big media, they don't really say much in the article, but what you can, the only thing they do is generating hype to say a lot of crazy things a computer can do. So listening to a podcast, because people can hear the people that are actually working in the field, they get a more yeah. sane understanding of the, the picture. So I think, yeah, thank you very much for making this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, what do you see as the biggest promise? Uh, like you said, there's a lot of hype surrounding the field, mm-hmm. but there are definitely mm-hmm. genuine, legitimate things that quantum computers could do in the future. So what do you see as the biggest, mm-hmm. like, something that's coming up that you think is going to be the biggest impact? I wouldn't know whether it is the would be the first thing that happened, but I personally very passionate about materials research because of my background of material science and yeah. my frustration of doing experiments. You feel like a lot of research are wasted by just trial and error. For example, yeah. I was doing some like solar cell research you need to mix a lot of different things and different ratios to find out the most uh, promising things. And you could have millions of combinations. And most of the time, Mm -hmm. one paper is just starting one of the parameters, varying this versus this. And it takes a a few months or a year of effort. 
So if you could have a quantum computer that is really efficient in simulating the chemistry to understanding uh, what kind of molecule or what kind of uh, combination of these materials can actually make the best of whatever application you're doing. They may not know the, exactly the best, but at least it significantly narrow down the combination. For example, from 1 million combination, you narrow down to 10 and everyone yeah. just working on this then you bring the innovation much quicker. And there's many problems in the world are actually materials problems. It could be like environmental problem, like we have plastic. It could be engineering uh, energy problem, like climate change. If we have mm -hmm. a better battery, yeah. then or better solar cell, we can solve the environmental problem. So this is one area that I'm most passionate about, but I'm not sure it will be the first application we will which yeah definitely um awesome um where can people find out more about you what you're working on um and kiss kit in general mm -hmm. so if you want to find out more on what i am doing you can follow me on twitter so my name is junior huang you can just search actually on my twitter is reverse because chinese the surname is huang and surname is first it's okay. a bit confusing for many people yeah <laughs> and for KissKit, you can also follow KissKit Twitter. And you should also join our KissKit Slack channel. It's very active. You can talk to many other members of the KissKit community or our co-developer of KissKit. And you can also follow the KissKit YouTube channel. You can watch the coding with KissKit to get started if you, have, you are not familiar with KissKit. We also have a lot of uh, live events going on. Last night, we just have a KissKit Live to go through the pause, open pause module of our Kiskit. So definitely, mm -hmm. yes, you just uh, follow Kiskit Twitter, Slack. You can find all this on kiskit.org. You go to the bottom, you see where to find us and you see all the social media channels that Kiskit has. Awesome. All right, well, Junye, thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So you're going to notice that this is in a slightly different order. In the past, I have done episode corrections and then episode questions. Uh, this time I'm going to do episode questions and then episode corrections, or lack thereof for both of them. Um, I am doing this for a very specific reason. It's a very important reason, too. If you take questions and corrections, you can abbreviate that to QC, much like you can abbreviate quantum computing to QC, and I'm a nerd like that. <laughs> um, that being said, I have not gotten any questions about topics in the podcast. I have gotten a lot of, Ethan, how did you get into quantum computing? Why did you start a podcast? Because of that, I wrote a piece for the Quantum Daily. You can find it on thequantumdaily.com. Um, it's not, you know, it's not going to win a Pulitzer Prize anytime soon, but I think it's a fun read. I've gotten people saying that uh, conversational blog writing is absolutely your vibe, so I appreciate that. Um, and yeah, I would recommend going and checking that out. People have already told me they like the new sounds, so that's encouraging. Makes it feel like the extra work is worth the effort. Um, and I'm getting a lot of just really super nice and amazing feedback, which I really very appreciate. Um, 
one listener said the podcast was very interesting and quote good stuff, which just makes me so happy for every reason the the good stuff just when I heard it first time made me smile a lot. Um, another listener told me that quote it's not easy to find quality content regarding quantum computing, and I think that makes your podcast so great. Besides the fascinating talks, is your kind and modest attitude. I highly appreciate it. I'm gonna try to keep that up. Um, not let the the uh, 300 people who listen to my podcast and the 150 some odd people that follow me on Twitter go to my head. Um, I know it's a lot of fame. I don't know if I can handle it. Um, but yeah, just anybody who reaches out to me and says that they appreciate the podcast, I really appreciate that. Um, someone took time out of their day to say that what I'm doing is beneficial to them, and I think that's super cool. Um, if you're thinking about reaching out to me and you're like not sure because you're thinking that I might not answer or anything like that, trust me, I will do my best to answer. I will do my best to answer quickly as well. I, I, I just love talking about quantum computing, so please reach out. Um, and last thing, there will be one more interview before I release a news episode. Uh, sorry about that. It's a lot of interviews all back-to-back. -back. Backstory there is coronavirus hit. I got locked inside of my house. I had a lot of free time. I decided I could use said free time to do things for the podcast. Uh, first thing I did was I contacted a bunch of people I had wanted to contact, and thinking that, you know, maybe a couple of them would say, sure, they'll come on the show. Uh, way more than I expected said, yeah, I can come on the show right away. I should have seen that coming, because they're probably, they were all also uh, locked down due to coronavirus. So, uh, long story short, got over eager. Um, there's going to be one more interview, and then after that I can do news and basics, and then I'm going to space out, like schedule out, um interviews in the future. So thanks for bearing with me. And, but that's cool that people are responding. Um, that being said, uh, on to further resources. All right. So as always, we've got links to everything that Junye talked about in the podcast in the show notes. You can find Kiskit Slack, Kiskit Twitter, Junye's Twitter, uh, YouTube for Kiskit, everything we talked about. It's all up there. Um, also, I wanted to just mention that I have added some information to Awesome Quantum Computing and Awesome Quantum Software. Um, these are both curated lists um, with slightly different purposes. Awesome Quantum Computing is sort of information about quantum computing that you can find on the web. It's things like uh, Quantum Computing for the Very Curious or the Mike and Ike textbook, not a PDF, obviously, but like where to buy it. Um, just general things that if you're looking to get into quantum computing, kind of helpful to know where this stuff is. Um, and awesome quantum software is things like simulators or actual um, frameworks for interfacing with real quantum computers. Um, it's just sort of all compiled into this big list. So I added um, Q.js to awesome quantum software because I think that Q.js is kind of, it's just obviously gorgeous. Um, it's pretty cool. JavaScript quantum computing it runs in your browser. All that is awesome. And for awesome quantum computing, I added the quantum computing subreddit, which you can find me on if you'd like. Um, so yeah, that's those two. Um, I also started 
quantum computing opportunities, which is uh, something similar. It's not awesome. Um, (laughs) Not because I don't think the list is awesome, just because I didn't think about making it awesome quantum computing opportunities. Anyways, it sounded long. Um, Quantum computing opportunities is you can find lists out there, like condensed, um, brought together lists of jobs or uh, research opportunities for like postdocs or PhDs, PhD opportunities, but you can't really find sort of hands-on opportunities, like a, a list of hands-on opportunities in quantum computing that's just all in one place um, that I wanted to do that for um, things like uh, the like internships or research opportunities specifically for undergrads is I think super cool because I'm going to be an undergrad. Um, and so, yeah, I am starting to compile information. People are already giving me suggestions. That's awesome. Thank you, people who are doing that. Um, there's also places if you want to, like, leave feedback. Um, if you've attended, say, Curip in the past and you want to leave some feedback, please go ahead and do that. Um, I, that's all really appreciated. The more information, the better. We're going to try to keep it as organized as possible. Um, that's all I have for further resources. Um, the Quantum Computing Now podcast is produced in partnership with thequantumdaily.com. The Quantum Daily aims to cut through the technical jargon and the overhyped fluff pieces to deliver quality, comprehensible content about quantum computing. If you enjoy this podcast and would also like text resources, be sure to check out thequantumdaily.com, which I have linked to in the show notes. Specifically, I don't have this linked in the show notes. I should. I will do that now. I will have this linked in the show notes. Um, But the article I wrote for them about why I got into quantum computing, why I got into podcasting, worth a read. I'm just saying, I think it's pretty cool. Um, Thank you for listening, and I'll have the next episode out when I get to it.